Welcome to The Dish, the culinary travel podcast focusing on the stories behind world-famous foods. We are your hosts, Tom and Megzi from foodfuntravel.com. Join us for tasty histories, destination food guides, and more. All right, hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Dish. Yes, this week we are talking about a dish that has caused a Bitter rivalry between two countries that's been going on for almost a hundred years now. Political food today, hey? Yes. So the countries are New Zealand. Yes. And of course, my homeland of Australia. Biased much? No, no, I actually don't care at all. Uh, I am not a big fan of this dessert. Couldn't care less. Uh, the dessert is, of course, the infamous pavlova. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. I don't get what all the drama is about. I can't stand Pav. If people bring it out, I'm just like, all right, and I won't touch it. I don't like it. It's whatevs. But it is something that you will find pretty much on every table at most family gatherings. They'll bring it out at Christmas time. They'll bring it out just if you're coming around. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's popular. popular. It's really popular. Not my thing, but people love it. So, for the uninitiated, although I'm sure most people know what it is, but uh, what is pavlova exactly? Okay, so pavlova is basically a meringue dessert with a crisp crust, but a soft, fluffy inside. So, meringues tend to be like hard all the way through, but pavs are a similar thing, but they're nice and soft on the inside. And they're usually topped with fruit and whipped cream. Any specific fruit? It's not like berries and stuff, is it? Strawberries? Or? Yeah, strawberries are really popular. Uh, of course, kiwi fruit is really popular. Because it's New Zealand. Because it's New Zealand. Yeah, lots of nice summer berries and fruits are very popular on your pavlova. So, if you're wanting to know, like a meringue by itself is a mixture of whisked egg whites and sugar. So, for example, a French meringue is... Uh, It's where the egg whites are whisked and then caster sugar is incorporated and then they're baked at a low heat for a really long time. So basically they're more, the the French style of making meringues is they're more dried out than actually cooked. Yeah, they go hard, right? Exactly. Where pavlova is kind of the same thing, but when the meringues go crisp and crumbly, pavlova has like a marshmallowy-like center. And this is caused, uh, they create this by adding cornstarch and sometimes vinegar to the mixture. And then what they do, instead of cooking low and long, they cook high and fast. Yeah, nice crispy outside and then it's gooey in the middle. Exactly. Yeah, I like that. That's better. I, I don't like French meringues where they're just I, rock solid. I have no. no interest in those and I don't know why they make them. No. Just like eating a little sugar bite. It's and too like, much eh. for me, yeah. Yeah, not So, if, I'm gonna, if I have to eat the two, like one of the two, I'm going to choose the pavlova over a meringue yeah. for sure. All right, so where did this all begin? How did it all happen? Australia um, or New Zealand? That's my guess. Yes. <laughs> so the Pavlova is named after the famous Russian ballerina of the day, Anna Pavlova. Okay, mm. she is New Zealandish. No, no, she's Russian. She's Russian. She's so, Russian. She was very famous all around the world. So this maybe it's a Russian dish. Maybe you've been fooled. Aha. But uh, she did actually tour Australia and New Zealand back in 1926, and it is not long after that that is when this bitter rivalry began. So, as I said, it's it's getting on to 100 years that people have been 
fighting this one out. So, in New Zealand, the story goes that a chef of a Wellington hotel at the time created the billowy dessert in her honour, claiming inspiration from her lovely billowing tutu. Right. Which makes sense. Nice, yeah, white, fluffy, floaty thing. A meringue does look like a, a tutu. Yep. Uh, the Australians, however, say that the pavlova was invented in a hotel in Perth and named after the ballerina when one diner declared it to be light as pavlova. So, light as her dancing and her So, I mean, demeanor. that's not even like it was a close together sort of geographical thing because Perth is like an eight-hour flight from New Zealand. Yeah, Perth and Wellington are quite a distance. Yeah, quite that's about distance. the two furthest extents of those two countries mm-hmm. apart. So, yeah, yeah that's a, quite a disconnect. Uh, All right. Yeah, the thing is of the time, Anna Pavlova, as I said, was a massive superstar of her day. She was known worldwide. She was doing – she was like one of the first, I think, Russian soul – like ballerinas to like do a world tour she was like really mm. really famous and so this isn't actually the the first dish that was named in her honor in france there are frog's legs called a la pavlova and in america there is an ice cream that's called pavlova as well apparently and they're just named after her so the, she was really really popular at the time and people were naming stuff after her left right and center wow so yeah the rivalry started no one really knew i found some articles that uh, dated in 2010, that there was a few newspaper articles, pretty much all from New Zealand, I have yeah, to say. Of course. <laughs> that got really excited because apparently the Oxford English Dictionary officially stated that the pavlova was a dish first published in New Zealand in 1927. Now, I can't actually find any evidence today from the Oxford English Dictionary that confirms this. And when I clicked on the OED website, the only thing I found was a segment from one of these articles. It was actually uh, from the Telegraph, which is not New Zealand, but British newspaper. Uh, British yeah. newspaper. And the and quote, all it says is, NZ wins Pavlova debate dated uh, December 1st, 2010, an argument dating back generations between Australia and New Zealand over which of them invented the Pavlova appears to have finally be settled by the Oxford English Dictionary. End quote. But no actual information from the dictionary to explain. The, the dictionary, how when they you look, no, when you look up the Oxford English Dictionary, Pavlova, it references just that little segment of the Telegraph article. Uh, it doesn't actually have the Oxford English Dictionary. And anyway, just because they say it, they still have to prove they it. They have to prove it. And um, surely a dictionary is not an encyclopedia. It just explains what words mean. I know. So yeah. it's not like an evidence based. Necessarily. I tried to go further into it, but the Oxford English Dictionary today is charging to use their online services. I don't know who is paying to use a dictionary. How much is it? It it was like £99 a year. Yeah, I could buy a dictionary for a fraction of that price. (laughs) Exactly. Plus almost everything online that's dictionary based is free. Definitions of words are free. Yeah. So, that's quite insane. Yeah. So, I found that really weird. Uh, so, yeah, because they're charging for their services, I didn't dive too much more into that. But, but- I mean, I've never seen in a dictionary where they go into historical no. like, evidence and quoting actual references. Like, it's normally like, this is a definition of this word. This is where it came from. Yeah. They- but they don't. They don't reference they do it normally, that other do stuff. they? No. I mean, encyclopedias, yes. Encyclopedias do, but dictionaries don't normally reference stuff. So I'm confused by why that would even be a, a useful source. I also got further confused because I actually looked up the book, uh, the recipe book that they were referencing that said it was originally appeared in 1927. 
But the only information I could find about the book was that it was published in Sydney, Australia in 1927. Uh, the actual cookbook is called The Davis Dainty Dishes, and it was released by the Davis Gelatin Company. And I, I, they have been releasing books previously to this, but they were either in Canada or Australia. I didn't see any actual books published in New Zealand until at least like the 30s or 40s. Really, really weird. Also... <laughs> all the articles were saying, and completely admitting this, that the particular pavlova recipe that was in the Davis Dainty Dishes, which it was in 1927, regardless of who published it, Australia or New Zealand, it was for a multicolored jelly dish mm. and not pavlova. It was something called pavlova. Because everything's called pavlova. Because everything's called pavlova in 1926, 1927. But it wasn't for the what we know pavlova to be today. Oh, like a pavlova and chips, please. Yes, like, it's weird. What's that? Oh, you know, it's like a steak with a billowy sauce on top. It's weird. So, over the coming years, it does seem that it morphed into the pavlova that is loved today. But the actual evidence that they're pointing to is for a completely different dish. So, I think, no, New Zealand don't get to have that. It's, it's, it's weird. Very, very strange thing. But to be completely honest, the meringue by itself has been around for many, many years. Yeah. It is definitely predates 1926. And I was looking into the research of Dr. Andrew Paul Wood and Annabelle Urecht. And uh, they are both a New New Zealander and an Australian, respectively. So, they're actually teamed up to look into this. And uh, they actually suggest that the true pavlova has its roots in Germany- and America. Hmm. So, uh, they dug, they spent quite a few years digging through all these old recipes and they told the uh, Australian website Good Food that they had found somewhere near like 150 recipes for meringue-based cakes that sound very, very similar to Pavlova. And all of these were published well before Anna Pavlova ever, ever booked her tour dates in, you know, down under in 1926. It's amazing that two people can make like years worth of work out of of just deciding who invented one dish a hundred years ago. I'm like, can I have that job? Apparently the way that they met was uh, they were introduced by a mutual friend and said, you know, you guys will have an interesting discussion over the pavlova. And both of them walked away from meeting each other going, I'll show you. <laughs> and then they've actually uncovered that they think that, yeah, it uh, actually comes from one of the most popular meringues from the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and it was a, this particular dish was really, really famous and loved by the Habsburgs in the 18th century, oh, and yeah. it is called Spanische Wintort. I'm sure you pronounced that a little wrong. Yeah, it, so the English translation is actually Spanish Wintort, but it, S-P-A-N-I-S-C-H-E. Yeah, Spanish. Spanish. Wind, wind, wind tort. Wind tort. Wind tort. Um, so, this is a historical Austrian dessert and is said to be ridiculously complex to create, but there are several recipes for it appearing in 19th century cookbooks from Austria. And so, this particular dish consists of rings of meringue that have been baked into a cylindrical form with a bottom and a top lid, and the piping of the meringue and the baking process requires like a lot of patience and careful attention to make sure that it's really symmetrical. So this is, you know, you've got to make it perfect for the okay. for the queen and king and whatnot. When the tort is done, the shell is done, they fill it like in between the two layers with whipped cream, fresh berries and chocolate shavings. So while the pavlova has its fruits on top, 
and this Spanish Wintort has it in the middle, it does sound very, very similar. The only thing that would be missing would be the marshmallow-like center that the pav is famous for. But we're going to get into that. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. So this is not the end of the story it's at all. It's not the end of the story at all. What these two people, Wood and Urich, think is that the popular dish was then brought to America with German immigrants who settled in the Midwest. And you'll find at this point in history, in uh, the late 1800s, this is where we have the invention of the hand-cranked egg beater. Okay. So, this made the process of making meringues for the everyday housewife so much easier. Of course. Yeah. So, rather than it being something that was just made in restaurants and by fancy French patisseries and, you know, Austrian chefs and whatnot, the average housewife could make this dish. And it was really popular with the German immigrants that had come over. So, what they think is that from there, the pavlova recipe, as we know it, traveled to Australia and New Zealand on the back of a cornstarch box from an American company that uh, was importing this cornstarch to them in New Zealand. It did go to New Zealand first in the 1890s. Mm. All right. So, they think it looks like that these German-American housewives started to create their own versions of this famous recipe, added in the cornstarch to, you know, because people mess with recipes and do different things and go, what if I try this? And they found that and they think it actually probably went to New Zealand on the back of a cornstarch box for, (laughs) yeah, it obviously wasn't called pavlova, but- So, hang on, they found this recipe, this cornstarch box recipe? Yeah. So, it was on a company called the William- Durias Maisina, which was imported to New Zealand in the 1890s. So, that's where they think it actually came from and was sort of just introduced. And you know how when you see things and you just make things and you forget that you saw it on the back of a box and you're like, oh, no, I just decided to add cornstarch one day and it made it so light and fluffy and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. That is where uh, these two actually believe that the pavlova came from, from all of their like thorough research. And as I said before, to be completely honest, they weren't even the first people to name a dessert after the dancer. There was strawberries pavlova that was in 1911, another dish which bears no resemblance to the pavlova that we're talking about today, but that was well before 1927, 1926. So no no meringue, just strawberries and other stuff. Yeah, exactly. Probably more of that jelly dish. People liked jellies in that day. So, yeah, it looks like both sides potentially lose this fight. Uh, And it once again proves why if you think you've invented a new dish, you should write it down and date it. Yeah. I mean, but I guess at the time, if it was maybe home cooks who found the recipe on the back of a box, they weren't actually available. Like they couldn't get a publisher to publish this for them. I totally get that. But the two people that actually are laying claim, the Australian and the New Zealand people, are not just home cooks, they're hotel chefs. And so, you think that they would have written something down because they're not going to be in there to cook it every single day. So, they would need to write it down so that the, the staff can make it when they're out. Maybe they wrote it down on a piece of paper that eventually went in the bin. Well, hey, that's possible. <laughs> that's probably what happened. It's like, well, no one's using this recipe this month. It's off the menu this month. So, yeah. Okay. Or well, maybe it was a sneaky person that was like, Pavlova, rubbish. <laughs> bin. <laughs> Didn't even like her dancing. Yeah. Not into it. Yeah. So, I I don't know, because obviously a recipe has to become a certain level of popularity. If you're just, even if you're a chef, 
unless you're like a world famous chef, people aren't just going to write your recipes down. That is true. And this is why we only have like the actual recipe being written down from like the 30s and 40s. Yeah. So there was the Pavlova recipe that was mentioned by the Oxford English Dictionary that was dated you know, in like 1927. But as we said, that was not a pavlova as we know it today. That was a jelly dish. So that someone wrote that down, but they yeah. didn't think to write the other pavlova down when it eventually morphed into being the meringue type dish that we know it today. It just seems like, and for, for every definition that we try to use on this show of what a dish is, I mean, it either has to be incredibly similar in ingredients but with a different name or with the same name and very similar in ingredients similar enough that we can say it's the same dish right? exactly otherwise Absolutely. it's two different dishes and as i mentioned as well there was like so many other dishes that were named after pavlova the dancer like so you know it's like those frog's legs it's like oh yeah we totally went from frog's legs to meringue we just updated the dessert it's like it then it became a frog's leg with meringue yeah and then it became a meringue with fruit instead and that was the original dish uh, you know it's the ultimate what sweet and savory frog's legs and dessert so what we're saying then the two chefs that we've got the two chefs that were competing for this the first one basically the recipe just has nothing to do with pavlova and the second one is like in the 30s, and that's in Australia. That was in Australia. That, that's it, actually a pavlova. Yeah, it's actually a pavlova, but it's, it's I think it was like 1938 or something around that time. So it wasn't like at least a good 10 years after, but uh, they actually wrote it down and said, hey, this is a pavlova. So, and that's the thing. But as we mentioned earlier, it is really weird that one was made in Wellington and one was made in Perth. And back in those days, you couldn't get two places further apart. Like, that's yeah. really far for this to travel. But the one in Wellington was not a pavlova. Not initially. And they also, someone did admit that potentially the pavlova desserts that came after that when it did actually take shape as the pavlova we know it today the dating could have been a little incorrect uh, okay so should i be calling it for australia then i don't because that's know. like the oldest actual definite recipe for a pavlova called a pavlova i don't know i kind of feel like it well does it need to be named a pavlova uh no but it needs to very specifically have been the dish before and then t called that dish later on. Yeah. It has to have evolved from it. Kind of like, I think you've got to give it to like Midwest American German immigrants because they made the same dish. It seems like they were making it. They added the cornstarch and then it ended up on this cornstarch packet that did, I will admit, it got it exported to New Zealand first. So it is potential in the uh, the research of Wood and Urukt that they stumbled across the fact that, yes, this recipe could have come on a cornstarch packet that got definitely was delivered to New Zealand before it was exported to Australia. All right. So the recipe arrived in New Zealand, wasn't a pavlova. Someone else claimed to have made a pavlova, but it was a different dish, not from that recipe anyway. You're getting so, it. <laughs> someone in a, someone in New Zealand, a housewife at home making desserts, might have made this before Australians did, but they didn't write it down. They didn't claim it as the dish, and they didn't call it pavlova. Yep. Which sort of means pavlova, the dish having been a dish and then named, probably originally a, a German American dish, but actually as the named dish, Australia's got the call on this. Exactly. I think in terms of the evidence, whoever it was from the uh, Oxford English Dictionary that said it goes to New Zealand, 
One, you didn't write it down. There's no evidence. I couldn't find any evidence online for it. Just a whole bunch of news articles going, they said it was us. <laughs> but that was it. Like, yay, it was yay. us. Oh, but it was also a jelly dish. It wasn't actually real pavlova. It, uh, it's so confusing. I mean, pretty much it could have just been some New Zealand intern on his last day at the Oxford English Dictionary just like sneaked into the computer and went, it was New Zealand. Exactly. It, that was it. It was us. And then, yeah, people have done wilder things on the day they quit. Like, yeah. So he just logs in and he's like, it was New Zealand. I quit. Now they got a like ninety-nine pound a month paywall or pound a year paywall I know, to, I have to, admit, to stop us from finding out. I am not so dedicated of a journalist. I'm not a journalist at all. But I'm not so dedicated that I was going to pay the fee to go to actually no. log into Oxford English Dictionary because guess what? There's free dictionaries online. There's free dictionaries everywhere. Everywhere. I can use it for free. So I guess if you do have access to the English dictionary, the Oxford English dictionary online and you're paying the fee, tweet us at Food Fun Travel. Oh yeah. Do they have any evidence? Or is it just a link is, to the Telegraph article? Yeah, or is, linking yeah, back. Just, they just link around. It's a loop, it's, it's a loop of yeah. linking, yeah. It's a loop of nothing, a never ending loop of no evidence. All right. Well, in that case, yeah, I'm gonna give it to Australia for the ones who named the dish Pavlova, even if the Americans invented the dish. Fair enough. But then it became a dish Pavlova. As at an that Australian point. I will accept it. I will not accept will. a pavlova. If you bring it around to my house, I will not eat it. No, sure. But, uh, you know, I will accept the, uh, the Australian title all on right. behalf of all my fellow countrymen. And we're going to have a lot of angry people from New Zealand. So tweet us at Food Fun Travel. We can get a, a real bit of publicity for this episode <laughs> if, you, if everyone starts getting angry and sharing you're it. You're really angry right now. People like sharing angry posts more than happy posts on social media. So this is probably the best way to do it. I'm just yeah. calling it. It's Australian, people. Yeah, it's Pavlova's Australian. There we go. Suck it. Suck it. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for this episode then. We've decided Pavlova is Australian. Yep. And tweet us with your anger. It'll be fun. We've also decided that if we ever have a dinner party, please do not bring Pavlova. Do not bring Pavlova. Nice um, cheesecake. I'll take a cheesecake. Cheesecake every time. Mm. Right. So that's it for this episode. Of course, as always, if you've enjoyed the episode or any of our other episodes, make sure you subscribe so you keep getting downloads. Make sure you leave a rating. Five star is the correct rating. Less than that doesn't work for us. I think the button's broken. I think it's broken. I just wouldn't yeah. bother trying. You might get a virus or something, I think, yeah, if you try definitely. and press that. So I only click the five star. It's just for the safety of all of your devices. Because I think... I think it could, it's like it'll infect all your family as well. Oh, everyone's going to get the virus. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's really yeah, bad. This... So just don't risk it. Five stars. Yeah. Five stars all the way. And uh, next next time on The Dish, it's our 50th episode. Hey, hey, hey. So we're going to be talking about our best meal ever. But it's yes. a dream meal. So it's not like one best meal ever. It's like a meal constructed from all the best things we've had around the world. Rule number one, you can't get full. Yeah. Rule number two, yeah, you can travel to anywhere in the world and or have- at least the, the genie waiter will bring us food from anywhere in the waiter, world. genie waiter, yes. Because uh, this episode is going to be a little homage to one of our other favorite food podcasts, Off Menu, with Ed Gamble and James Acaster. If you haven't listened to that, go give it a listen before the next episode comes out, because then you'll have a bit of an understanding of what the format is. Yeah. And then we're going to be doing our best menu ever just like they do on their show for all their different celebrity guests. And it's not combined. We're doing it separately. Yeah. We've done two separate menus and we're going to battle it out to see who has the best menu. Obviously, mine will be the best. I doubt it. We shall see. All right. We'll see you in that episode. Thanks again for joining us. Catch you next time. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to The Dish. Don't forget to subscribe and keep this podcast on the air by giving us a five-star review on your preferred podcast app or channel. Also, come join our foodie community on Facebook in the Food Worth Travelling For Facebook group. Catch you next time.